Good morning. Let me turn this on. There's a hit. I'd like to think I work good under pressure. I blame no one. I won't ask for forgiveness of the message today. I will just ask that God blesses it. Uh, Brother Doug and family are homesick. Uh, I believe it is a biblical command that the sick are quarantined. Um, let's not get into what they do or don't have, just that they are being cautious as we all should be if we get sick. Uh, so, with uh, some notice, we'll say some, I was asked to preach today, and uh, I guess the first thing I'd like to say is what I will bring forth today, um, I will just confess is something that I need more than anyone in this room. It is uh, something that must continually be in my thoughts, and, and we'll get into that, but um, as many of you know, I can be somewhat forward, forceful, opinionated, uh, Oh man, uh, I can come up with some other words. I ask you not fill in the blank if you don't mind, and just uh, bear with me today and know that it comes from a heart that is convicted over where I lack, and uh, that I must continue to peer upon my Savior. So I, I ask you all to pray for the Campbells. And anyone else who is currently sick, that uh, that would be short-lived, and they would be returned to their regular routines, uh, more so that they would be returned to serving the Lord. Bear with me. This is a handwritten first draft, and there may be a few, eh, whatever, so... Now that I've settled in just a touch, and Ethan's looking at me, making sure my blood pressure's not up too bad. The message today is on temptation. We were blessed uh, here a while back to go to the father-son retreat in North Carolina, and it led to me coming across the scripture not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the, you know, who knows how many times. That is kind of what is in the back of my mind, and I will get to. Um, but I'm going to apply it here today to James. So I'd ask you to turn to James 1. And luckily for you, I don't have this all written out, so I get to turn with you half the time. So you might actually get there by the time I start talking. James 1, um, specifically today, covering verses 13 through 15 alone. Um, as I studied and dealt with myself, 
Um, there's so much more here, but uh, I'm going to pick pick out um, where I believe God is is leading me, and I, I pray He blesses that in your hearts and your and your walks with Him today. Uh, maybe in your lack of walk with Him here today. Let's read the Holy Scripture here, starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Pray with me, please. Father, may your word here today expose each and every one of our souls. Father, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce to the separation of bone and marrow here today, the thoughts and intentions of our minds, Lord. May it do its work here. But I pray you cultivate the hearts to receive this message. Lord, in receiving it, not that it would just be that of, oh, good message. But Lord, that it would enable action. That it would enable conviction. And it would enable praise and glory to your name for what you were doing through the power of your word through the residing Holy Spirit that rests in your believers, that affirms its truth, O Lord. Each and every one here today affirm that this is your word, and it is authoritative, and we are to obey it. Father, Father, have my flesh step aside, and let your word go forth, and may you bless the preaching of your word here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grabbed too big of a notebook. I apparently need more room. All right. So today's message is entitled Temptation. There are three headings or points that I would like to lay out for today. What is the origin? Excuse me, let me restate that. Number one, I'll go a little slower in case you're a note taker, because I know I am, and um, people talk too fast and it's hard to keep up. Number one, what is the origin? I said it again. I, I can't. <laughs> uh, what the origin of temptation is not. Okay, I will restate that. Number one, what the origin of temptation is not. Number two, what the origin of temptation is, and number three, the consequence of temptation. So number one, what the origin of temptation is not. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. When we face temptation, we often blame others. Our circumstances, the devil, and even God. In fact, 
We have been blaming God since the Garden of Eden. When Adam said, excuse me, yes, when Adam said to God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it, Genesis 3.12. Eve quickly follows up by saying, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam first blames God, then blames Eve, and Eve, in turn, blames the devil. We commonly call this passing the buck, and unfortunately, we do it all the time. Isaiah 6.3 says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 1 Samuel 2.2 There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Now what am I trying to say? Well, I'm trying to emphasize where temptation does not come from. Temptation does not come from God. God is holy completely incapable of evil. Someone may say, is there something that God cannot do? Well, for one, he cannot be tempted with evil, as James has stated here. So we come to a quick conclusion. The answer to point one, the origin of sin is not The origin of temptation, excuse me, we'll get to that. The origin of temptation is not God. It is not. We cannot say that. If we say that, we are wrong. And as plainly stated within our uh, morning Sunday school this morning, God's Word is the authority. God's Word says God is holy, not evil, and cannot tempt with sin, cannot, is not the tempter of any evil. He is not the origin of temptation. So we must bow the knee to that point. So moving on. What then is the origin of temptation? Well, seems easy to walk this out. Verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own Desire. The previous verse states that this temptation is evil. In verse 13, it says that God cannot be tempted with evil. And then we have that but right there, right? In verse 14, but each person is tempted. Well, it goes to say then that the temptation is an evil temptation. So let's dig into this a little further. And let me state it like this. But each person is tempted to evil when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The picture given by this phrase, lured and enticed, is that of fishing. The first word describes the act of luring fish from their hiding place. 
The second word, enticing, the enticing of the fish, is done then in this picture with, for the sake of, of my illustration, a big, fat, juicy worm on a hook. The fish's desire is to bite the worm. We are tempted to evil when the world and the devil lures and entices us because our nature is to want what the world and the devil offer. Our nature, our flesh, agrees with the world and the devil. I want, to hear that. I want you to hear that very clear. What is our biggest problem? Ponder the verse. Ponder just 14 for a moment. I can, I, can, I can remove God from this for you. Because Scripture says so. Your flesh is your biggest enemy. How come? It is always there. And it loves the world and it loves the devil. Your flesh is an ally to them. If your flesh could be removed... The world and the devil would not be any problem. So, our flesh is our greatest enemy. And it is with us every day. And again, I will state it loves the world and the devil. And this is cutting. I, I'm, this, cut, this cuts. I'm not pointing finger at you alone. This, is, this cuts. Our flesh is our problem. So, the source of temptation is not God, or even the devil, but it is man's own sinful heart. So, moving on, then. We've answered that question. What is the source of temptation? It's, it's this unredeemed flesh that still yet hangs to me. So, number three, then. What is the consequence of temptation? Well, verse 15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The words here give us a picture of the human life cycle. If desires are not dealt with in a biblical manner, they eventually lead a person to sin. And sin can lead to death when it is fully grown. Desire, when it has conceived, I want to define that. When has desire conceived? I believe desire has conceived when in our own evil thoughts we decide to take action. In taking action, sin has been given birth to. And sin, when continued in, is fully grown and brings forth death. Now, I thought of Doug several times a day, and last night, on my fishing illustrations, but I think it just so, so works here. So I'm going to return to it. I want to walk this out. Fish are lured out of their hiding place. They are lured. We are drawn out from under the protection of God, by our thoughts, 
The fish are enticed by the juicy worm, by their nature. We look and listen to the allurements of the world and the devil, and our flesh likes it. The fish strikes that bait and is hooked. We take action, and sin is there. Now, there's somewhat of a difference in the fish in us. The fish throws its head, jumps out of the water, and swims as hard as it can. But it has been hooked. It has taken the bait. We make excuses after excuses. Again, blaming others, blaming circumstances, blaming God, blaming the devil, but continue in sin because we have been hooked. The fish tries and tries, but at the last, he is reeled in to his death. We try to get away, or we may not, but the cords of sin have us, and it brings death. I want you to feel the soberness in the room right now as we speak of these things as God has laid this before us. This is serious. For clarification, I would like to point out that it seems that this, these verses, that the sin doesn't happen until there is action. Now I'm going to bring us down just a touch more because it is clear in God's Word that God judges our thoughts and our thoughts can be sin. Romans 2.16 says, that on that day, when according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Really thankful for that water this morning. So if we don't already beat down enough, and I tell you that your flesh is your worst enemy, then I tell you your thoughts are going to be judged. And uh, I believe it is Ray Comfort who says that every one of us would be trying to crawl out of this room without anybody seeing us and hoping that none of them would ever see us again if our thoughts were displayed on a screen for everyone to see. So with that said, with my short exposition of these verses today, I want to put you on the spot. I want to put this into application, and I want to challenge you to memorize Scripture that you might not sin against God. So what is the so what? What are we to do? Well, the first thing that we absolutely cannot do is blame God for our temptation. It is clear. Again, I will say it. And and with the authority that God has said that He has by His Word, because of who He is, we don't get to say it any other way. There it is. I must submit, it is not God's fault. Do not get to blame God that I am tempted 
that I have evil thoughts, that I sin, even of the consequences around me. Whatever excuse I have, I do not get to blame God. Now, I'm going to guess, take a real good guess probably, that probably every one of us at some point in time has blamed God. And I will call you and I will call myself right now to repent of those things and submit and bow the knee to the word, to God's scripture, and it is not his fault. Here I wish we could just go for for weeks and talk about who God is. I don't have weeks this morning and neither do you, and I'm not that well studied. But I would exhort you to the primary focus of your heart and mind to be that of knowing God better. He is incomprehensible. We cannot know him in full. It is a lifelong journey. Commit yourself to his word. Commit yourself to prayer. Commit yourself to knowing him better. Second, so then, how do we fight temptation? And ultimately, sin in itself. Well, I believe it starts with our thoughts. Let's stop it first. Let's stop it at the first spot. Things tend to fester when they're left. As we see in the Scripture here, that once the thought becomes evil and is enticed by our sinful flesh, that desire then is conceived that we will have of that. And then sin comes forth. And sin continues forth and brings forth death. Let us stop it before the chain starts. Instead of letting it be conceived, let's stop it before that point. So then, that's what I will address. I will address that we should start with our thoughts. Now, this is something else that um, I have learned and I am I'm very grateful for. This will be New King James Version. Uh, reason being is because when I was committed to memory of this verse, it was in that version. Um, and of church and family life at that conference that uh, is gone to, I will ask you to participate today. Reason being is I want to stick in your head for today for sure. If you take nothing else from what I am telling you today, I would ask that you memorize this scripture. I will, I will recite it once, and then I would like you to recite it with me several times. Congregationally, please. That scripture is Proverbs 16.13, and that is in the New King James Version. And as you're turning there, I will go ahead and read that. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Now please, with me, as a congregation, I would like you to embed this into your mind. Repeat, with, uh, say with me, please. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Again, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Again, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. 
One more time. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Okay, I hope you have that in there in some sense. And if you do not, I would ask you to go home and recite that until you do. So, with that, with coming to the reason being for this, here we are, we are trying to take our thoughts captive, to obey Christ, the Scripture says. We want to commit our works to the Lord that our thoughts will be established. We want to stop temptation before it happens in our thoughts. Psalm 119. Hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is my plea in this. That you would memorize this scripture and when temptation comes, this would come to your head immediately. I want This is an application for you. This is as real as it gets. I can't give you any much more application that when those thoughts start running, that you go, am I committing my works to the Lord? That is the question that you must ask yourself. I would plead again that you commit that verse to memory. As an evil thought comes, and it will, what do you do? Well, in that moment, again, I ask, ask yourself, am I committing my works to the Lord? If not, at that moment, if you are not committing your works to the Lord, I ask you to stop what you are doing. Maybe at that time, you're not actually up to anything. So what do your works look like? Well, as I keep asking that, then we must define what our works What are my works? It is literally everything we do. It is is everything. It is your vocation. It is your recreation. It is your free time. It is how you deal with and treat people. How you treat your wife or your husband. How you treat your children. How you treat your brothers and sisters how you treat your fellow believers, how you treat your co-workers. All this and more is your works. So when is this verse that I've asked you to commit to memory applicable? All the time. So applicable that I can apply it directly to my flesh that continues to reside in me and I must fight. Let's repeat that verse again. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So, we've established works. What are they? How do we commit? Well, obviously, if that work is evil, it must be discarded and repented of. It starts at applying James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Again, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So we can commit our works to the Lord 
when we understand that every good and perfect gift is from the Lord, and in humble adoration to Him, we work to Him because He has given us everything. We owe Him. All that we have, we have been given. In adoration and humbleness, not in pride, not in, in uh, any spite of any things, not in forcefulness, but in the fact that when we truly understand what it is that we deserve, and that we see all that we have, that we can do nothing but work unto Him. That our praise is about praising His name. That the things that we do with our strength that is given to us is to His name. Because in and of ourselves, left to our own flesh, every time we will do what is wrong and we must have Him dwelling within us. The church is the people. The church is those whom God dwells in. The Holy Spirit is in you and you are convicted of your sin and you want to honor and adore and work in adoration to Him. Praise God. Praise God. Because it is Him and Him alone who has given that to you. You haven't earned it. There's no birthright that you've been given that has gotten you there. It is all of God. I pray you see that. Commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So, what then are we to think on? Well, I'm going to go there. Philippians 4.8. Right? Finally, brothers. And I'll give you a second to get there as I wipe my nose again. Philippians 4.8, and I, I'm only going to ask you to memorize one verse today. So, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here it is, think about these things. Do you want to battle your thoughts? Think on what is good. Do you want to fulfill your flesh? Think on what the world and the devil has to offer. We have to make a choice. The world and the devil offer stolen waters and bread eaten in secret. God offers you a feast of His best wine and His greatest foods. Don't go for the substitute. Don't go 
for the lesser. Go for God and all of his glory. Go for thinking upon him. And ultimately in Philippians 4.8, who is the ultimate object of this verse? It is God himself. He is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Think on Him. Do not think on the evil. Think on Him. So in further application on what we are thinking upon, then, will you be thinking upon, you will be thinking upon what comes through your eyes and your ears. Or in the words of uh, a man that I cannot say who it was because I do not remember, through your eye gates and your ear gates. don't remember who originally quoted that. Uh, but I do give him credit, whoever he is. <laughs> what we're thinking upon is influenced by what we take in. I think Carol has said it before. Garbage in, garbage out. Well, what's your garbage? What, what's your garbage? You know. I mean, I might be able to put my finger on it for a moment, but you in and of yourself must examine yourself and say, what is my garbage? What are the things that are coming in through my eyes and through my ears that are causing me then to think and be enticed and lured and gives forth to death what are those things? What are you watching? What are you listening to? If you come to church for one hour on Sunday and the rest of the week spend 30 minutes a day in God's Word and prayer, I ask, how can that possibly compete with hours upon hours of the filth of the world? I tell you it cannot and you will get hooked by sin. What is your priority? Is God an add-on? Is your devotional time an add-on? Or is there even one at all? I do not know. I'm just up here today to expose myself and hopefully to go cultivate you to further seek God and know Him better. It's time for action. God is serious about sin. Sin causes death. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Again, I will say sin is serious. God is serious about sin. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That sounds serious, doesn't it? It is serious. I exhort you, do whatever it takes. You know your own heart. You know your own flesh better than anyone else in this room. What is it that you are struggling with? Cut the hand off. Tear the eyeball out. Those are hard and very stern words. Cancel your TV provider if that's necessary. Throw out your TV. Get rid of your smartphone. Run over your computer. Don't go with those people. Be accountable. Tell people your struggles. Have them hold you accountable to that. That is part of the beauty of the church of Christ. The church is to hold each other accountable, as we have talked in membership meetings. Throw out your romance novel. Quit that sport. Is it causing discontentment? Is it causing you to be allured and enticed by the world and the devil and to not think on what is good and to not commit your works unto the Lord that your thoughts will be established? Do not go down that road. You know where that path leads. Don't go there. Stay far from that place. Do whatever it takes. Again, sin is serious. Let's cut it off early. Be at battle. Be at battle. The battle is real. The struggle is real. If you are not struggling with your own flesh in some context, I would plead with you to seek God and see His holiness and know how wicked you are. I don't think God reveals our entire wickedness to us because I think it would consume us and we would be unable. But He continues to pull back the veil. He continues to remove scales from our eyes and areas where we have currently not seen. And, and that may happen through continued prayer, and, and study. It may happen through reproof from a brother. It may happen from consequences that have happened. May we continue to see our sin and be quick to be killing sin or it be killing us, as Doug quoted from, I believe, John Owen last week. We need to be in a battle with our flesh before you get hooked. Once you're hooked, it's too late. Sin has been born. And it will have consequences. Don't be lured and enticed. Romans 8, verse Speaking of the flesh and speaking of the Spirit. Think of Galatians. And I won't quote it correct. Maybe I should just go there also. But let's read this one first. 
Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Tell me that's not what we're seeing here. Sin brings death. Live according to the flesh causes sin. Sin brings death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I ask you again then, what are you feeding? Are you feeding the flesh? These evil intentions, discontentment, sensuality, materialism, you name it. Or are you cultivating a spirit of humble adoration towards God who has given you all things? Galatians 5. And I will quote two. Two of them, I mean, maybe more. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We cannot walk by the Spirit if we're not in fellowship. We cannot walk by the Spirit if, if, if this church isn't coming together to not get something out of it, but to give. First and foremost, praise and worship to our Savior. And in a, in a downfall effect, loving our brothers and sisters, and, and as stated last week of, of the in goodness and knowledge that we would instruct each other. It has to be all three. If you don't understand where I'm going, then you didn't listen last week or you weren't here, so I would ask you to go back and listen to that. But we must walk by the Spirit. Verse 17 of Galatians 5. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, we're back to very serious allegations, if you will, very serious statements of what it means to go this way as opposed to that. I'm not saying we walk in sinless perfection. That is not a heresy I'm willing to preach because it's not in God's Word. 
Again, we'll submit to the authority of Scripture. We have a dividing line here, though. Are we walking by the Spirit? Are we walking by the flesh? Sometimes when I'm dealing with myself, I think of the fruits of the Spirit here, then, as we continue forth in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You want to find out if you're walking by the Spirit or not? Apply all of those things to what you're doing. I usually don't get past love because I read 1 Corinthians 13 and I see love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, love does not insist on its own way. Now I'll continue to quote that as I turn to it because I lost it in my brain. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. So, I ask you to apply that in your thoughts. Is the works I'm doing in love that my thoughts would be established? Or are the works that I'm doing in selfishness, in division, worldly lust, lust of the eyes, sinful pride of the... Sinful pride, I can't get it. Hmm? The pride of life. There, there are three of them, thank you. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the sinful pride of life. Is that what you're being led by? That is love for the world. So, What if you're hooked by sin? What if, and you will be, again, because I'm not preaching sinless perfection to you this morning. Your sin has been conceived. What are you to do? Repent. Turn from it. Turn to repeated forgiveness in Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive those who truly come alongside when they confess. When we confess, that word used in 1 John uh, uh, 1.9, to confess our sin, oftentimes we only hear it as a word that, that is uh, just the speaking forth. And that is not true. To confess means that we agree with God about it. That we know our sin is heinous and grievous. 
We must trust him for his forgiveness. If you are here today as a believer, as this epistle is addressed to, in walking in continual sin, a habitual habit of sin, maybe not necessarily one particular sin, but a way of continuing to walk and gratify the flesh and to let sin come forth. I warn you, there is sin that leads to death. Now as a believer, your eternity is secure. However, 1 John 5, verse 16b, if you will, it's going to pick that portion. There is sin that leads to death. Well, what do you mean? All right? As a believer, again, your eternity is secure. But if you continue in sin, a habitual habit of continuing forth in sin, it may be God's prerogative to take you out physically for the holiness of His church. For the sake of ruining your testimony and staining the name of Christ. Habitual sin should always be a cause for concern. I think it should even bring us to questioning our faith. Am I continuing to walk in the sin? Am I truly in the faith? We must examine ourselves. Am I in the faith? Do I love Jesus Christ? Alright, so somebody might say, yes, I love Christ. I love what He has delivered me from, and so forth. The Word is very, very, very clear. If you love Him, you will love His Word, and you will love His commandments. We cannot be severed from that. So if you do not love Christ, if you do not love His Word and His commandments, I plead with you today, Throw yourself upon Christ. You are sinful beyond measure, as am I. And it is in Him and in Him alone that the forgiveness of sins and eternal life can take place because of what He has done through His life, His death, and His resurrection. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone the completed work of Christ upon the cross, that it is finished. And He paid for every one of the sins of those who are His. Today is that day. If you are here today and you do not and have not trusted Christ, you may choke on your lunch and die today. That is real. We have zero idea when we are going to die. Why are you putting it off? Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. 
Examine yourself. See your sinfulness. See the holiness of God. and You cannot satisfy Him by your works. As David said this morning, Brother David right there, he said that our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. We can't earn it. We must throw ourselves on Christ. I plead with you if you do not know Him to do that. For the believer today, I think one thing that is clear, sin don't just happen all of a sudden. It's a process. We love Christ. We're going to cut that dude off at the beginning. Let's do it in our thoughts. Let's commit our works to the Lord that our thoughts will be established. Do not be enticed by the allurements of this world and the devil. Do not go after what your flesh says. Go after what God has commanded you to seek Him in all that you are. He has given you all. I will say one more time. Two things. Your flesh is your worst enemy. It is clear in Scripture. The world may not always be in your face. It is in our face much more than it it used to be, if you will, because of technology and so forth. The devil is not always in our face. His schemes are. The devil is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. But if you will, your flesh is omnipresent with you. Your flesh is your enemy. Fight your flesh. Do not gratify the desires of your flesh. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Pray with me, please. Lord, bless you for your word. Bless you for the conviction it brings of a spirit you have put within within us. The Holy Spirit convicts us and affirms, yes, that is true. Yes, that is true of me. My flesh is evil. And I must seek you with all that I am. My highest priority in life, Lord, shall be to know you and to enjoy you forever. What is the chief end of man? Father, may you, Lord, be our all because you are all. Father, draw conviction in all of us. Apply this. Lord, let us quickly, quickly draw Scripture into our mind when our thoughts become evil. Lord, that we would commit our works unto You, that You would establish our thoughts. 
Father, and that we would do all of those things to the glory and to the honor of your holy name. We thank and love you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.